I'm not going to lie, Greta Gerwig is one of my favourite actors, so all objectivity has gone out of the window during this week's episode of Soundtracking, the film music podcast in partnership with the EE BAFTAs. Now, in fairness, everyone seems to agree her directorial debut, Ladybird, which she also wrote, is a triumph. Starring Sarsha Ronan, Laurie Metcalf and Timothy Chalamet, it charts the turbulent relationship of the eponymous teenager and her mother, with the narrative by turns irreverent, hilarious, brutally honest and deeply moving. The score is provided by John Bryan, who has the uncanny ability to blend traditional orchestration with a tone that's modern and offbeat. It's his title credits you can hear playing now, with plenty more of his work to come throughout the course of the conversation. The soundtrack, meanwhile, is an absolute gem, featuring the likes of The Monkeys, John Cale, Justin Timberlake and Real Big Fish. While it would have been tempting to include super cool records for want of a better expression, Greta instead went for songs that her characters would have been listening to at the turn of the millennium. There's no better example of that than Crash Into Me, the lyrically creepy pop ditty by the Dave Matthews Band, which features prominently in the film. Greta, welcome to Soundtracking. Oh, thank you so much. I listened to your soundtrack for Ladybird <laughs> and it was like a time machine. Yes. It's so emotive, even just listening to the music that's mm -hmm. been picked for the film as well. Mm -hmm. And the film itself, I think you use that Tennessee Williams thing, you know, mm -hmm. uh, a good, good art can take you home. That's what the film is. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, that's a thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, with the music in particular, the, the, the songs I chose, it was very important to me that the songs felt like songs that someone in Sacramento, California would listen to yeah. in around 2002, and then it not be an adult picking music for teenagers <laughs> that they'd never listened to. I think sometimes that happens in films because you don't get to make a film usually until you're in your late 20s or early 30s and then mm -hmm. you give yourself retroactively better like or more obscure things yeah, than you so would have cooler. had. Yeah, I don't want to say better because like <laughs> I love all the music in this movie, but I just wanted it to have that real sincerity. Justin Timberlake. Yes. You wrote him this uh, yeah. letter. Mm -hmm. We yeah. actually spoke to Andrea Arnold who made oh, yeah. Honey. She did a similar thing with Rihanna. Oh, did but she we really? Found love. She wrote her letter and said, oh. "Please, can we have the song for the film?" She said, "Yes." Oh, that's so wonderful. There's some good guys out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. 
it's funny. I feel like musicians have been incredibly kind to me. I had a sense that I could do that. I guess based on when I'd worked with Noah Baumbach on Francis Han, Mistress America. I mean, Paul McCartney has always been incredibly kind, and David Bowie was kind yeah. to us. And you know, I, I thought like, well, I'll, I'll try this, and it worked. You got Crimea River. Yes. You were my sun. You were my earth. Took a chance made of a plan But I bet you didn't think That they would come crashing down No People don't have to say What's the date? I already know I'll count up out to was just lovely. Alanis Morissette, Justin Timberlake, Dave Matthews, Ani DeFranco. That it, Monkey's it, track's yeah. really special as well. Yeah, oh god, yeah. Carol King is singing on it, mm. um, too. I think so much of filmmaking is you, you say, well, I might as well try. I mean, people could say no, but why don't we see if, see if we could get a yes? But the, the nice thing about acting as training for being a filmmaker is you ju- you get so used to hearing no that it doesn't bother you anymore. <laughs> you, you get really immune to it. You're yeah. like, well, well, fine. It's a no. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I get I get not hired for jobs all the time. <laughs> um, I'm really, really used to it.
got to work with the great John Bryan to create the score for the yeah. film, and I kind of wanted the, the score to be romantic and old-fashioned. of very specific pop hits on the radio type songs and then an old-fashioned romantic score. Were there any of John's previous scores in particular or scores for you that were reference points? Because, I mean, I love Magnolia yeah. or Punch Drunk yeah. Love or just a couple yeah. of my favourites of his. Definitely Punch Drunk Love was <laughs> a big part of it. We spy 
music and I love his collaborations with mm. different artists too. Often I would have the experience of like really loving a song and I was like, oh, John Bryan produced it. That's why you love, there was a Kanye West song, Gone, oh, which wow. I loved. It kind of has this like crazy orchestral thing going on. It has this real jangly piano, which sounds very specific. And I always loved that song. And then I remember someone said to me, you love it because John Bryan produced it. And then I was like, wait, did he? And then <laughs> he did, he had. And that's true of like so many songs. And now I can hear it more when yeah. it's his, but he has such a specific way of recording. He has such a specific genius. I know that word is overused, but having sat with him for lots and lots of nights and listened to him write music and record it, it is genius. I'm ahead of my time, sometimes years out, so the powers that be won't let me get my ideas out, and that make me want to get my advance out, and move to Oklahoma and just live in my aunt's house, yeah, I romance the thought of leaving it all behind, Kanye step away from the lime, light, like when I was on the grind in the one, nah, 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 before model chicks was bending over, or dealerships as we been Rover, man. If I could just get one beat on Hover, we could get up off the sheep ass sofa. What the summer of the shy got to offer? A 18 year old sell drugs to get a job, you gotta play Euro. My dog worked the Taco Bell, hooked us up plural. Fired a week later, the manager count the churros. Sometimes I can't believe it when I look up in the mirror. How we out in Europe, spinning euros. They claim you never know what you got till it's gone. I know I got it. I I don't know which I long. I'ma open up a store for aspiring MCs. Won't sell them no dream, but the inspiration is free. But if they ever flip sides like Anakin, you will sell everything, including the mannequin. They got a new bitch, now you Jennifer Aniston. Hold on, I'll handle it. Don't start panicking, stay calm. Shorty's at the door, cause they need more. Inspiration for their life, they souls, and they songs. They said, sorry, Mr. West is gone. But yeah, for me, Punch Drunk Love is the one that I kept going back to, but you do something in movies before you have a composer where you use, te they call it temp score, where yeah. you're using another piece of music. And, and I never tempt with his music. Mm -hmm. I tempt with um, Jerry Goldsmith, who was a composer in the 60s. And um, I used his music. And I think when I showed John the movie, when I was trying to get him to work on it, I think he was very relieved that I didn't tempt with his music. <laughs> he was like, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> I think for him, it's really hard to hear his own music used for a different film. Well, it's like almost like someone kind of going, so I've written this part for you. Here's you in another film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it feels like very, uh, yeah. And I think he was relieved. So, I mean, and maybe it's just a tip to any of your filmmakers out there, listeners who want to do this. If you want a composer to work on your film, never show them your movie cut with music that they've already done. <laughs> I think there's a great story, actually, of um, Bernard Herrmann and when Brian De Palma was making the one with the sisters. It's called Sisters. Yeah. But I'm not positive. But he showed Bernard Herrmann a cut of it with his music in it. And Bernard Herrmann screamed and was like, turn it off turn it off and then they ran the whole movie with no audio track and he just watched it he went home and he wrote the score for the movie and then um he passed away shortly thereafter but like they've always remembered of him like that story of him screaming turn it off and i've never <laughs> so i've never wanted to have to put a composer through that 
the music is used so many different ways within mm. the film, within mm. Lady Bird. The score, the soundtrack, and what you've done so brilliantly as well with the soundtrack, which everybody can buy mm. and listen to, is you've put dialogue in there. Yeah. And I love soundtracks that do that. Yeah. Christine? Lady Bird. Is that your given name? Yeah. Why is it in quote? Well, I gave it to myself. It's given to me by me. One for me that really sticks out is Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, yeah. Where you have Robin Williams doing all those genuine kind of radio links kind of thing. Yeah. Sam Jawaki from the, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. Such a clever thing to do, but it yeah. just, it was so great to be reminded of those moments throughout the film. Yeah. Sprinkled with all the, with the music that features. Was that your decision? Yeah. I mean, I worked with a great music editor, um, Susanna Parrick. You know, the truth is, like, in this process, because it's the first time I've directed a film, I knew a lot going into it because I've been involved with a lot of films as an actor and a writer and a producer, and I had a very good idea of how to get a film from page all the way through. Yeah. But I'd actually never worked with um, a music editor before, and uh, she and my editor, Nick Hui, these were all ideas that were in the script, but they really made, especially those kinds of moments, come yeah. alive. And she worked with Jonathan Demme for a really long time. I think that was her first film, was a Jonathan Demme film. You know, that's my favorite part about making movies, is there, it's such a collaborative art form, and there are so many people who just have such extraordinary, specific talents that you get to go work with them, and then they make your film that much better. It's, it's amazing, yeah, I'd go sit with her in our office, and then she'd come up with some transition that I it was was what I had meant to do but I didn't know how to do it and she <laughs> she could figure it out The great thing about you is that whether you're writing or you're playing a character or now that you're directing, you always have great soundtracks. Mm -hmm. All the films you've been yeah. in have yeah. had great soundtracks. Yes. I love music. I'm not a musician. I wish, I, I mean, I, I play like the piano badly, <laughs> but I, I can't write music or anything like that. But music is uh, really, really important to me and I've been really lucky. I mean, one of my favorite soundtracks I think is Mike Mills' movie, 20th Century Women. I mean, that has like great, yeah. great music in it and Mike I took something from the way he did it because he made me extensive playlists mm -hmm. and I thought it was so helpful because each of the characters in his movie so defined themselves by their taste and so I did the same with all my characters for uh, Lady Bird um, every single person got a playlist Great. and it music is a way that we remember our lives yeah. you know for me, it can be quite Proustian in that there's certain songs that you will always associate with something. And with actors, it's like, maybe this helps you, maybe it doesn't. It always helped me, mm -hmm. so I figured why not do it for them. My country character talk about the raincoats in 20th century women too, didn't Yes. <laughs> What is that? It's the raincoats. Can't things just be pretty? Pretty music is used to hide how unfair and corrupt society is. Ah. Okay, so they're not very good, and they know that, right? 
Yeah. It's it's like they've got all this this feeling and they don't have any skill and they don't want skill because it's really interesting what happens when your passion is bigger than the tools you have to deal with it. It creates this energy that's 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 raw. Isn't it great? <laughs> On that first day on set, you know, first day of filming, I was nervous, definitely, because goodness, it's just it's nerve-wracking. But so much of getting to the point of being there on that first day, like every moment of um, pre-production, I was just terrified the whole time that it was going to fall apart. That's always with indie films, particularly. You're like, oh no, this could all just go away. And so it's this sort of combination of when the trains actually left the station and you're there on the first day of this immense relief that it's actually happening, coupled with, oh my God, it's actually happening. <laughs> um, so it's sort of both at once. And then I loved every single day. Movie making, I think under any circumstances, is a slightly mad endeavor mm -hmm. because it's so, it's just there's so many things that can and do go wrong. It's kind of the nature of it, but um, it was the time of my life. But yeah, that first day, I was relieved and terrified. <laughs> when you'd written Lady Bird mm -hmm. and you had that kind of finished script, yeah. did you always know that this was the one that you were going to go out and direct on your own? I think I um, once I had the script done, I had a real moment with myself about it because I'd wanted to direct for so long. I'd been working up to it for so long. But it's hard to do something you've never done done before and I had a moment because I know a lot of directors I know a lot of really great directors and I had a moment of do I give it to one of them and have them do it because I felt that the writing was good and I thought I'd written a good script and I thought well I don't know that I'm the best steward of this <laughs> and then I think for me it's it was that moment when the fear of not having ever tried is greater than the fear of failure yeah that's when you step it up and decide to do it. You know, in some ways I need to have each part of the process be isolated. Writing is just writing, and I'll just write until it's good enough to be a movie. And then I'll figure out directing it and the score for the movie, and then um, each part of the process is distinct. Even when I was directing, I remember Tracy Letts, who's a great writer, and he's also an actor Good in the movie. 
such a good dad. <laughs> wanted to be my dad. But, I have a great dad, uh, by but, the way. But, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but he said to me something really smart um, when we were working on it. He said, I don't do any improvisation on set and I, I don't really change the script once it's written. And he said, but I was doubting myself one day. I was doubting, I was like, should I change this? And then he said to me, you have to trust the person you were when you wrote the script because you're not that person anymore. So now it's your job to interpret it and be a director, but you're not the same person. I was like, oh, that's so smart, Tracy. No wonder they gave you a Pulitzer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Was that the case throughout the whole film? There was no improv because those scenes in particular with Sersha and her mom, mm, and they're just, yeah. I mean, oh, I yeah. mean, the casting is, is pristine. It's oh, so thank you. brilliant. You know, I'm watching that car scene, for example, and you're in that scene, you know, yeah. as a viewer. And yeah. that's what's one of the brilliant things about the film is it so connects immediately. Yeah. That those yeah. scenes feel so natural that it's yeah good writing. Thank you. No, no, no. Those are, those are, I mean, uh, Saoirse and Laurie are such brilliant actresses. And um, the reason they feel so real is because they are so planned in a way. Um, Saoirse and Laurie are both very precise actors mm. and um, we would go through every single line and talk about it they would get very specific about like what are the triggers for the fights what are the things that turn them I mean that opening scene in the car they go from crying together about this book on tape uh, Grapes of Wrath mm -hmm. um, and then this moment of Saoirse turning on the radio which annoys Marion, Laurie's character, and then Saoirse's annoyed that she's annoyed, and then all of a sudden, it, it, like, it, it's these sort of hairpin turns and being really careful about how we do them. And actually, that opening fighting scene, I purposefully scheduled at the very end of the movie to shoot that last, because I wanted them to have really sunk into each other's rhythms and their ways of going about things, because I felt like by the end of the shoot, if, if it goes the way I think it'll go, it'll be so locked in that when I cut into that scene it'll feel like we're just cutting into somebody's life it won't feel like acted yeah and it did it had that quality but yeah I I find that with actors that's I have so many stage actors in the in the film too because they're so good with text I yeah. mean they respect text they they base their whole performance off of it and because I'm such a stickler for that I just uh, I, re I really appreciate actors who, <laughs> who just sort of stick with the words yeah I want to go where culture is but like how New in the York world did I raise such or a at least snob. Connecticut or New Hampshire really? where writers really? live in the get woods get into those schools anyway Mom! You can't even pass your driver's test. Because you wouldn't let me practice The way enough. that you work, or the, or the way that you don't work, you're not even worth state tuition, Christine. My name is Ladybird. Uh, well, actually, it's not, and it's ridiculous. Call me Ladybird like Christine. you said you would. Just, you should just go to City College. You know, with your work ethic, just go to City College, and then to jail, and then back to City College, and then maybe you'd learn to pull yourself up and not expect everybody to do everything. The idea of a daughter asking her mom, do you like me? Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. And the response, that crushes me. Yeah. That scene is just like, yeah. then I kind of think, I wonder, have I ever asked my mom if she likes me? Yeah. It's a real honesty and truth. That... Yeah. The question not being, do you, do you love me, but do you like me? I mean, that scene, it sounds so goofy when I say it out loud, but when I'm in a good flow with writing, it is like the scenes write themselves. I don't feel like I can even take responsibility for them. I'm, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> um, but it's like, I don't know, that that's kind of like 
the way that logically develops of like, do you like me? Of course I love you. No, but do you like me? And then her saying, I want you to be the very best version of yourself you can be. You can really understand what she means by that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to tell you you're okay, because what if that means you'll never keep pushing yourself? And as a mother, you feel like you need to. And then, you know, what if this is the best version? Something about it. It's like, and then she she gives her that look and and then she regrets it immediately. And I, I wanted every scene to be in some ways that you feel that you can understand where the mother's coming from and you can understand where the daughter's coming from, Mm. that you don't feel like anyone's a villain. But yeah, I I remember looking at that scene after I wrote it and I was like, well, I think it's done. But, you know, (laughs) that's a totally fake... um, I I don't want to give the impression... Most of writing is just hard, but occasionally you get lines given to you from the beyond, which you feel (laughs) like you can't take credit for. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wish that you liked me. Of course I love you. But do you like me? I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. What if this is the best version? Kyle's band, everybody's had a Kyle in their life. Mm Who I like to refer to as a fuck face, basically, is what I always refer to. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's had a Kyle. Yeah. The guy in the band, the floppy hair. Ugh, just hair. Just a dick. I know. <laughs> the hair was really important to me. When we cast Timothy, he had short hair, and I was like, can you grow your hair out? And he said, no, my hair's too floppy. And I was like, um, excuse me, that's what everybody dreams about. Grow out that floppy hair. Um, but... He, yeah, I, I wanted it to be because there was a particular kind of guy in the 90s and the early 2000s, like, who had this ability to, like, tuck their hair behind <laughs> their ear, which I found to this day, it's something that it, it, it went along with skateboard culture slash sort of Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, there was some person who was like that. And um, that tucking your hair behind the ear, I was like, I need it to be as long enough so you can do that. And he, he got it there. <laughs> I just had a whole experience that was wrong. Look, you're deciding to be upset. No, I am upset. Because you're deciding to be. Don't be mad at me for this. It's stupid. You can't be mad at me for something I have no control over. I just wanted it to be special. Why? You're gonna have so much unspecial sex in your life. I was on top. Who the fuck is on top their first time? I've got to say good luck at the Oscars as Thank well. Thank you. I spoke to Sasha the other day, oh. and she was talking about this picture that you showed her. I think you were 15. Oh my God. It's at your Oscars party. At my Oscars in party. Everybody's like PJs and you're in a ball gown. Oh yeah. I think I told it. I mean, everyone had been instructed to dress up, but I'm taking it far more seriously than anyone else. Oh like, I look like an alien sent from another time. I'm Well, I was always really tall, and I always loved the Oscars, so I'm really tall wearing heels wearing this red dress I found at a vintage shop. <laughs> well, listen, the film's been recognized with BAFTA as well, and I really oh, I hope to you. see you guys up there because you, you so deserve it. And I think this film is going to be up there with your Rushmore's and your Breakfast mm. Clubs and just as a classic film that just will speak for years to come. Thank you so much. It was so nice talking Thank to you. you. Thanks so <laughs> Thank much. Keep it inside the one playing that song and I thought about her.
Another of those tunes from the Ladybird soundtrack that teenagers in Sacramento might have been listening to at the turn of the millennium. That's Snoop Dogg Baby by Real Big Fish. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Greta Gerwig in partnership with the EE BAFTAs. My hugest of thanks to Greta for taking the time to talk to us. Ladybird is on a general release around the world now with the soundtrack available via Sony Music and the score Lakeshore Records. You can find a link to a Spotify playlist for this show via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast and catch up with every single interview to date. Please, if you can, follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and do keep spreading the word about us if you can. Now, while Lady Bird didn't land a gong at the BAFTAs, one man who did was the fabulous Daniel Kaluuya, who scooped the EE Rising Star Award as voted for by you, the public. Quite the achievement, giving the competition. Now, don't forget you can listen to Daniel and all of his fellow nominees in the category Talking Music With Me in episode number 72. And as for our next offering, well, we have an absolute treat in store as both Duncan Jones and Clint Mansell join us from Los Angeles to discuss Duncan's new film, Mute, which is available to watch exclusively on Netflix now. They were an absolute hoot, so I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company. 